maybe a parking space that says, like, you made it. (laughs) Congratulations. Um, Anybody with me out there? All right. Um, We're here today. Is this on? Good. We're here this morning to invite God into our mess. To invite you into our mess. We're here today talking about prayer. Because in 2021, we dare to treat God as real. To put it simply, we're here today because God is here today. He's promised to meet with us. If something in this church resonates with your heart, I'm guessing it's because like the rest of us, you're, you're done with being impressive. We're here today because we realize being impressive doesn't work. Impressiveness is just failure that just hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Our ideal Facebook designer selves look so good and hurt so bad. But Oasis Church is for burned out, fed up successes can discover that what we really have wanted all along is in the Lord. It's been waiting for us, not up on stage in like supposed perfection and everything's, everything's going great, but down on our knees in humble prayer. Here's the good news. Jesus isn't our shining example that, uh, for us to try to live up to. He's not our life coach trying to get us to do better and to try harder. He's not our professional manager booking an event for our false self to project an image that we wish were true, even as we hide our real self that we're ashamed of. The real Jesus we love here at Oasis sees all our junk. He sees our hidden worst. And guys, he isn't walking away. As the Puritan Thomas Goodwin put it a long time ago, your very sins move him to compassion more than anger, like the heart of a father for his child who has some terrible disease. His arms are open wide for broken-hearted sinners who are wondering how much longer they can keep up the act. If this is your first time at Oasis, you probably didn't walk in this morning thinking, you know, I really want to learn how to become a praying person. I mean, can we just all be very transparent? Prayer is awkward. It can be very hard. It can be embarrassing. Uh, it can be intimidating. Um, but the best things in life, guys, we're not even looking for. Prayer is the wonderful embarrassment, one pastor put it this way. Prayer is the wonderful embarrassment when we let our guard down and finally get real with God. If you feel like you're good at prayer, you're not. If you feel unqualified to pray, you're ready. Our world tells us how wonderful we are all the time, every commercial. It tells us how deserving we are, right? If if you start listening for it, you'll hear it. It's in almost every commercial. You deserve this. You owe this to yourself. 
It's, it's, it's the, what our world is constantly telling us, how deserving, how brimming with potential we are. And guys, that's why prayer is hard. God doesn't make it hard. We make it hard by clinging to the illusion of our darling wonderfulness. One of my favorite prayer books puts it this way. If you are not praying, you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. So prayer becomes relevant when we're finally shocked by the evil that we're really capable of. Then we find in our tears that prayer is where God awaits us with grace that we barely believe in. Here at Oasis, we share joy in God's grace, don't we? Just like every Sunday, man, we just give each other a bath in that joy. Uh, Martin Luther put it so well. Listen to this from Martin Luther. May a merciful God preserve me from a Christian church in which everyone is a saint. I want to be in the church of the faint-hearted, the feeble and the ailing, who feel and recognize the wretchedness of their sins, who sigh and cry to God incessantly for comfort and help. <laughs> that weren't so long. I just painted on our building. Um, church is not, guys, church is not for helping us get so good at Christianity that we don't need God. Church is for all of us admitting our jacked upness, our wretchedness, so that we cry for God incessantly for comfort and for help. God, if, if we're a broke, if we are just the most messed up church in Virginia, make us one thing, make us humble and make us a place where we're honest about our messed up state and our need for the Lord. So guys, prayer is vital to the Christian. Prayer is to the soul what breathing is to the human body. But how could something, let me ask you this, how could something so vital and so crucial to our walk with God be so hard, it seems? Well, the Lord hasn't left us without help. As we'll see as we continue our study in Christ's Sermon on the Mount, where he's teaching us how to live in him, how to live our Mondays in him now that we've been redeemed. Remember what we said last week, these words of Jesus Christ are not primarily spoken to give us wonderful doctrine. It does some of that, and that's great. We want to hear, hear the doctrine, right? But it's more focused on creating a gospel culture. Now that you are redeemed, how then shall you live? What should be the culture of your homes? What should be the dynamic and the culture of this church? Not what's on our creeds. What's in the air? How are we living this out? That's what he's focused on. So let's read the word of God together today with gratitude that we get to do that. The, from the gospel of Matthew. So I would ask that you would stand Please stand in the reading of uh, honoring of God's word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. I tell you the truth, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. May God bless the reading of his word, and may he write its eternal truth on every single one of our hearts. You can be seated. Let me pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a privilege it is that we can come to you in prayer. And we trust that we don't do so without thought or without our hearts engaged, but genuinely. And so we come before you right now and we ask that you would be so gracious as to speak to us. Lord, would you be merciful to open our ears to hear? If we walk away from this message today, having learned nothing, it will not be the fault of your word. It will be ours. So we pray that you would work around and through and above and beyond all of the distractions and how easily we are prone to wonder and that you would teach us to pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by asking you a question. If somebody were to ask you right now, how's your prayer life? How would you answer? I think few of us would be happy with the question or confident in our answer. We'd say, can we talk about something easier like politics or Maybe the weather, this awesome spring that we just had, or let's talk about the cicadas, those ugly little bugs that are about to attack us from underneath the ground. Um, we, guys, we wish we prayed more, don't we? We wish we prayed longer. I think we all wish we prayed better. I bet none of us anticipate getting to the end of our lives and saying, you know, man, there's just one thing I regret. I just, I just spent too much time in prayer. Just, I feel like I was unbalanced there. Uh, we're, we're more apt, aren't we, to feel guilty, to feel, to feel like failures, if we're honest. I mean, but is there any activity that's more essential to what it is to be a Christ follower than prayer, and yet more discouraging? We, we know we should pray. We, we want to pray, or at least we want to want to pray. And we admire those who pray, right? Our prayer warriors, we have some in our church. We look up to you. We've had, I've had those through my life that I've looked to for, you know, in that way. And yet when it comes to actually praying, if we're honest, if we're honest, most of us feel like failures. The best books I've read over the years about prayer are the books that leave me hopeful. Y'all with me? Like, I don't need a kick in the ribs. Like, I'm quite aware of how horrible I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, I need some hope. And so the best books leave me thinking, man, I can pray. This is amazing. I can, it's not legalism. It's not this, oh, I've got, no, I want to. And I, I want to, to pray more. And I can, I can do this. And I think A Praying Life by Paul Miller, which we have in the bookstall back there, has probably been the most hope-giving book on prayer I've ever read. But too many books leave even the most sincere amongst us feeling like a failure for doing anything else, breathing or working or anything other than praying. 
I remember one of those books I read on prayer. It was the classic. I'm not going to say it because maybe it really ministered to you. It was just for me. It was like one of the, the biggest classic books on prayer. And um, I remember reading it. And at first, I found it really inspirational, these great exhortations to pray. But by the end, it was deflating. And, and I, you know, I was just thinking, I don't know if I can do this. It felt like a relentless pounding on the will. Pray more, pray more, pray more. From my experience, I don't know how you are with me, nonstop focus on the oughts of prayer can stir us up at first, but it wears off quickly. And then it leaves in its wake guilt, more guilt than prayer. But guys, our Lord's Prayer, which we're going to be looking at kind of the intro today and in the coming weeks, is different. It's different, and I hope that these sermons are different. Not mainly because I think it's a bad idea to just preach, come on, George, pray more. You can do it. Do it. Not mainly because, and guys, that has a place. There is a place for us to kick ourselves in the fanny and just like, you know what, let's, let's, let's tighten up. We got to do a little better. But, so, so not, but not mainly because I just think it's not the best approach. More importantly, because the Lord's Prayer doesn't do that. Not, at least not explicitly. That's not how he, it talks about prayer. So Jesus is about to teach us how to pray. Who's down? Who, who wants a lesson from our Savior about prayer? We need, we need this, right? He's about to do that. And so uh, how this came about, right? So we can look at the parallel passage in Luke's gospel. And what has happened is John the Baptist and his followers were apparently praying. And the disciples of Jesus saw them praying. And they thought, man. We got a ways to go. <laughs> we, we, and so they go to Jesus and they, have you guys ever been there first of all? <laughs> you ever heard somebody pray and you just thought, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but it's not praying, I guess, because that was praying. Like, you know, I, mean, I feel that way about Jerry Harding kind of, when I hear him pray, I'm just like, man, do I need to become a Wesleyan to pray like that? Like, I mean, what's the deal? That's, you know, or, uh, or people that just can pray with such passion and they're so real with the Lord and I'm just like, oh, I want to be more, I just want to be more honest in my prayers and just more like I'm talking to, you know, him like right there with me. And, um, and so the disciples were feeling this way and they said, Master, will you teach us to pray? Are we humble enough to ask the Lord that this morning? Do we feel like we've got it figured out? And so our King, our Savior, our Lord, he does just that. And that's how we got the Lord's prayer which really should be called the Jesus followers prayer or the disciples prayer because you can tell the Lord's giving it to us for us, you know, i.e. God doesn't have debts, right? So forgive us of our debts. He's clearly, he's like giving this to us to, this is how you pray. Um, so first, I just want to point out a couple obvious things, but um, again, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit takes what's obvious and maybe what's not so obvious and he ministers to each of us specifically with where we're at. So Lord, give us ears to hear, we pray once again. So let's notice what Jesus first did not say, because I think there's a lesson in that. He did not teach them how long their prayer should be. He didn't. He said, pray like this. He doesn't mention how long they pray. He doesn't mention what time of the day that they should pray. Morning or evening or noon. He, he, he doesn't mention how many times a day they should pray. He doesn't mention, here's one for us, hey, millennials. He didn't mention what you should feel when you pray. That's a big one. Or whether they should be standing, sitting, or kneeling. Or if they should close their eyes and fold their hands. 
By the way, kids, the reason that your parents sometimes get you to do that is because it's harder to pull brother or sister's hair when you're folded, when your hands are folded. And mommy and daddy ask you to close your eyes because it's easier to focus on God and not think about other things, right? Excited to have our kids with us today. You guys are doing great, by the way. Um, it's a little intimidating to have kids in the sanctuary when I'm ADD. It's just like, it's like, Lord Jesus, help me, you know? So I'm just like, what are they doing? Is that a color? What's that? Um, Jesus doesn't talk about any of that. Of course, now, it wouldn't have been wrong if he had. But I think it does teach us something that Jesus was concerned more with the what they prayed, more than with the when, the where, or the how long. So just don't miss this obvious lesson. The Lord gives us a lot of freedom in prayer. Morning, afternoon, evening, short time, long time, eyes open, eyes closed. There's a lot of freedom here. But what are the basics that God gives us? Let's jump in. Okay, now Jesus, up until now, you guys remember in the Sermon of the Mount, what's he been doing? He has been saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Well, he kind of does the same thing. He starts by saying, here's how not to pray. And he presents the true in light of the false. He teaches us what we should do or should believe first by showing us what to not do or to not believe. Does that make sense? He starts with a short sermon on how not to pray. I mean, just look at all the nots. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. Do not be like them. But notice Jesus is concerned not just with what they pray, We'll come to that a little bit more later, but also how they pray, how they pray. Jesus wants to make sure in all of the Beatitudes, guys, what's he concerned with? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? This is his central concern in the three acts of piety that he hits on. Um, now, one, one of the difficulties of preaching is there's so much cool stuff that we don't have time to say on a Sunday, and it's really, it's really difficult. Um, so I'm just going to do this one real quick. Don't have time for it, but I can't help it. So uh, apparently, like, uh, in, in church, in, in not church history, in Jewish history, there were three main disciplines that any good Jew would have done. And so their New Year's resolution may have been, like, how are you doing with your disciplines? And those three disciplines were giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Well, wait, where's Bible reading? Well, most people couldn't afford to have a scroll of the Old Testament in their home. They would have had chunks of it memorized. Um, they would have gone to the synagogue a lot to hear it, but they wouldn't have had that there. So those were the big three. Those were the big three disciplines that were to help them in their pursuit of God. And with all three of these, Jesus' concern is the same. And he, he's unpacking, do you notice, all three. Now, we didn't jump ahead to the fasting thing. A lot of commentators did, but we'll just do that one later when we get to it. When you give to the poor, don't make a big deal of it. When you pray, don't do it to look good. When you fast, don't draw attention to yourself. Those are, those are the three, and those are what Jesus has to say. And why does Jesus do that? Well, because Jesus has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so he knows, Jack, what's in my heart, bro. He knows what's in your heart. He, he has a, what's, what's that psalm that says, he remembers that we are but dust. He, remember, he knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And so as a good father, he knows what's being tempted to you in your heart. And so he understands the pride and the vanity that dwells in all of our hearts. And he realizes that just because you're a churchgoer, just because you might have a sincere heart to love God and to pursue him, it does not mean that you're above this temptation. Let's not forget how sneaky the enemy is and what he can persuade our hearts to think and to do. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you see that religious people are especially prone 
to these things. Um, what better way to pursue vainglory than to make other people uh, see that I'm spiritually impressive? Um, and so don't think, don't think, don't check out right now and think, well, Brady, I'm a Christian, man. I go to church. I really do love the Lord. Me and God, we got this cool connection. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not in danger of these things. No, you're particularly in danger of these things. So let's look at verse five. Now, before we get to the specifics of these verses, look at the first four words in this verse. And when you pray. There's, there's such a lesson in just a simple word, right? And when you pray, notice Jesus doesn't teach his disciples to pray. They would have understood that prayer is not for the super spiritual. That prayer is for all God followers. No one, not Jesus, not his followers, no one questioned that God's people would pray. That was assumed, and it should be assumed today. So if you're part of the family of God, if you belong to Christ you talk to your father. Isn't that true? Now, earthly fathers can die and can pass on, but if your earthly father is still alive and you never talk to him, especially if you live in his house, then something is very wrong. Something is dysfunctional about that relationship. So Jesus says, of course you'll pray. There is no such thing as a non-praying Christian. You can't be a Christian and not pray. And I wonder with all the things going on in our world, guys, and I mean, it's, it's almost like 2021 looked at 2020 and said, hold my coffee. Wait a minute, you know, and just like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's been crazier. You know, you just think, okay, now surely things are going to settle down. You look around and guys, we see so much that's sad, don't we, in our world that's broken. We see so much that's wrong. That's scary, that's painful, that's dark, confusing, angering. I think a really clarifying question for us this morning is what's our first instinct? What's, I mean, I mean, we've got Congress looking at the Equality Act, this thing that could do a number on religious freedom in churches. It's, 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 it's one of the most dangerous pieces of legislation that has ever come through in our lifetime or our grandparents' lifetime, right? We got, of course, the LGBTQ, incessant pushing, and the capitulating of, of, of so many Christian organizations. We have, we have things out here that are, that, are, that, are, that are scary. What's going on in our schools? And so what's, what's our first instinct? Outrage? Is our first instinct outrage? Is it, is it to go to social media? Is our first instinct to defend ourselves? To accuse other people? Or is it to pray? There's no such thing as a non-praying Christian. Yo, that hurts. Does that sting you a little bit? That stings me. What's our first instinct? Now, like I was saying, Jesus begins by teaching us how not to pray. According to Jesus, there's two big no-nos when it comes to prayer. Number one, don't be like the hypocrites. Number two, don't be like the pagans. So we're going to look at these two today, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. First, Jesus does not want us to be like hypocrites when we pray. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me one more time. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, Jesus said, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he's going to reward you. So I think a big, a big part of this text is the word hypocrite. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page with what that means. It comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which means a play actor. And in the negative sense, it's someone who would put on a mask. Obviously, they would do this in Greek dramas where they would wear a mask for various parts. A hypocrite is someone who plays a part, someone who pretends to be something they're not. Hypocrites profess to believe one thing and actually live something else. A vegetarian who eats a pile of bacon every evening, right? An opponent of big tobacco who smokes a pack every, every day, right? A champion of family values who sleeps around. Those are hypocrites. They pretend to be what they're not. And specifically, their pretense is for this, and to be thought well of. I want people to think better of me than I really am, right? Hello, Facebook. Hello, Twitter. Hello, all these temptations. Now, I, I do want to clarify one thing, because I think too often Christians confuse hypocrisy. What do, what do I mean? Well, sometimes I think Christians think hypocrisy is doing one thing and feeling another. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrites publicize one set of beliefs and then live by a different set of beliefs. When you come to church, when you don't feel like it, guys, that's not hypocrisy. That's faithfulness. When you do the right thing in your marriage, even when you don't feel in love, that's fidelity. And I underscore this because I've been, I've been told this a lot as a pastor. Well, pastor, I would be a hypocrite to stay in this marriage because I'm not in love anymore. Or I'd be a hypocrite pastor to come to worship because, to be honest, I feel a million miles from God. I don't feel like worshiping. I'd be a hypocrite to pray because I, I feel a million miles from God. If I start to talk to him, it just feels hypocritical. I'd be a hypocrite to give in the offering because I just don't feel like giving. My heart's not in it. God loves a cheerful giver, right? Yes, he does. So keep on giving until you're cheerful. <laughs> Listen very carefully. Listen. Doing what is right when you don't Feel like doing what is right is not hypocrisy. It's maturity. It's maturity. How many times, babe, do we feel like changing a diaper right before we go to bed, right? I mean, you guys think of examples of your life, loving your husband, loving your wife. It's maturity. Professing one thing in public and living something else in private, that is hypocrisy. And we must not confuse these two things. So we see clearly what Jesus had in mind. Look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. I was helped by the paraphrase of the message, which they paraphrase this from the Greek. And so it's, it's really helpful. Listen to this. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone's watching, playing the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. This is the way your God, who conceived you in love, 
working behind the scenes helps you out. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't, fa don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. And he goes into the rest. Isn't that helpful? I thought that was good. Eugene Peterson there, his paraphrase. Uh, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's what hypocrites do. They don't really love God. They want people to think they love God. They don't really love the kingdom. They don't really, they don't really love hallowing God's name. They love to pray where people can hear them on street corners. They love to be seen by others. Now, obviously, we don't take this to the extreme that like God is saying no praying in public. You introverts were like, see, I knew I was right. I just, I knew it, right? It's not what he's saying. I mean, all, we have to take it in the context of the whole Bible. We have public prayers this morning and, and we're not overthrowing corporate worship as seen in the New Testament, right? There, uh, Jesus prays in public, right? And Acts chapter four, we, they're gathering together. They're praying corporately, even the Lord's prayer. What's it say? Does it say, my father, our father who art in heaven. It's in the context of more than one person. What he's arguing against is what's all too common in Brady Rose's heart, in your heart. And that's to, to care what people think and to be focused on people instead of on the Lord, what people think. So be very nervous, Christian. If you love being spiritual in public, more than being spiritual and private. Uh, I was helped by John Stott, the UK Christ-loving dead guy who was just brilliant. Listen to this. He says, we'll comprehend Jesus's point better if we ask ourselves these questions. And so I, I, I'm going to pose these to you. These were, these were penetrating and helpful for me in my study. Number one, three questions. Do I pray more frequently and more fervently when I'm alone with God than I do in public? Do I love, genuinely love the secret place of prayer? Number three, is my public praying simply the overflow of my private prayer? If the answer is not enthusiastic affirmatives, we fail the test. And we fall under Jesus' condemnation. We are hypocrites. Just, let's just give that a minute. Speak to us, God. Is that anywhere in our heart, in any measure? D.A. Carson puts it this way. Could it be that the prime reason we do not see more prayers answered is because we are less concerned with bringing our quest to God than with showing off before men? What do I think about when I'm praying in public? Am I so busy scrambling to find expressions pleasing to my fellow worshipers that I am not really concentrating my attention on God and scarcely aware of his presence? Even though he is the one to whom my prayers are nominally addressed. Jesus insists that the best way to overcome such evils is to spend time in secret prayer. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Our prayer life, guys, is to be like an iceberg in the ocean. Do we have a picture of that? Bam. 
That is a picture of what our prayer life is supposed to be. What you see before others is just a little bit of what's underneath. There's much more than meets the eye like transformers, right? Jesus is giving us a warning here. He's given us a warning. Let's receive this together. Beware of saying all the right things when you're, when you're outside of your house and doing all the wrong things when you're in it. Beware of religious professionalism. Life group leaders, ministry leaders, pastors, deacons, women's, men's leaders. Guys, we can fool each other on a Sunday. We can come in here for two hours. I can look, I can look good for y'all, right? You can look good for us, right? We can, we can fool each other for two hours, but you're not fooling God. And you're not fooling whoever you're living with at home. So beware. Don't pray to be seen by people, Jesus says. Jesus says, close the door and pray to be seen by God. So do you see how prayer is a matter of faith? So do we really believe God hears us when we pray? Do we believe God sees us? For me to pray in front of you, that doesn't require any faith, right? I mean, I can tell that at least some of you are listening, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of dialed in. I can, it doesn't require any kind of faith. So, but when I pray in secret, do I believe, do you believe that there is a God who sees you when you're praying and he is listening? Well, that takes faith. You see what Jesus' point is. Don't miss this. Jesus says, if you live for the praise of men, you'll get it. And that's all you'll get. So don't be a fool, he says. Don't live for earthly applause. Now, he doesn't leave us there. He goes on to say, and when you, when you can get heavenly applause, your father will reward you. So Jesus doesn't say, man, like, how dare you have that in your heart, you busted earthling? Like, how dare you just be so messed up, right? He knows. He's compassionate towards us. He, he knows that this is, this is in us. It's all, it's all around us. Um, you know, why would you want to live your life for all these people that are around you, he says, when you can live for me with the smile of heaven upon you? So do you believe that God sees you and will reward you? RVG Tasker puts it this way regarding verse 6, the room. When you close the door to your room to pray, he says, uh, points out that the Greek word for room into which we withdraw and pray, temeon, was used for a storeroom where treasures might be kept. The implication may be then that there are treasures already awaiting us when we pray. Certainly, the hidden rewards of prayer are too many to enumerate. Isn't that good? He says, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to the Father who sees, what's, sees who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In the words of Paul, we have these rewards when we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are God's children. We are granted a strong assurance of his fatherhood and love. How many of y'all need some more of that? He lifts the light of his face upon us. He gives us peace, Billy, like your shoes. He refre he's got shoes that say peace on them. He refreshes our soul. He satisfies our hunger. He quenches our thirst. We know we are no longer orphans, for the Father has adopted us. This is straight out of the word of God, guys. We are no longer prodigals, for he has forgiven us. No longer alienated, for we have come home. Just to name a few. 
A few months ago, a friend of ours um, gave us one of those baby monitors with a camera on it, right? It has, it has infrared. We can see at night. It, technically, it was made for dogs because um, it can, like, launch treats into the air, which we, we put, like, peanuts and almonds in there for the girls. And um, we were super stoked about it because, you know, we always, anytime you open that door, it's like reset, game over. It doesn't go well, right? You got to put them all to bed again and stuff. So now, and it's got night vision, really good night vision. And uh, it's just been really interesting to see what they're doing. And, um, and when she's napping, when she's not, and I can actually talk on it. And so I'll go on there and be like, Betty, you know, Betty Jane, she'll be like, huh. you know? Now imagine you're a three-year-old girl or a three-year-old boy. You love your daddy. You look up to your dad. You know your daddy takes care of you. He's your buddy. And you, and, and, and you know that your, your daddy has a camera on every wall in the house and sees everything you're doing. Now what difference is that going to make in the way you live your life? Well, as Renita pointed out to me the other day, the first thing is you probably think of being afraid, Right? You think of, uh, it might make me afraid I wouldn't do the wrong things. But it should also, and I've even, I have noticed this with Betty Jane, it also makes a difference in why you do the right things. And it's a comfort to her. Because I, I put her to bed and I say, Daddy watching? I say, yeah, buddy. She's like, okay. And it's a comfort to her. And when she's having trouble going to sleep, I'll sing Sleepy Tight on there. And it works like every time. It's magic. It's just uh, she'll be up doing something. I'll say, it's time to go to bed, buddy. So it, it's not just a, a, a fearful thing, which that has a place in our lives, right? But it has an incentive to do the right things. That if you, if you really understand the heart of God for you, his tender affection, if you really, I, I think that's where Brady Rose has been the last year and a half. I think God has been helping me understand that he's a loving father. I think that was an area I struggled in. And, and some of y'all might be there. But when you really understand that he is a father who takes care of you, who goes towards you, not, not in repulsion from you and your brokenness, goes towards you as a father would with a child who's sick, who loves you, who you look up to, if he's watching all the time, then when your friends are pressuring you to do what's wrong, you're not just thinking about your friends. You're thinking, I don't need to impress them. My father is watching and I want to impress him. I don't have to put on a show. I don't have to pretend to be what I'm not. I ought to be the same person wherever I go because wherever I am, my father's watching me. And in this instance, it's not to punish me, it's to reward me. So live for the one you cannot see, not for the ones you can see. This is absolutely essential to being a Christian. Absolutely essential. Live for the one you cannot see, not for the ones you can. Don't be a hypocrite. So that's our first point. Here's our second, how not to pray. The second no-no Jesus gives us. Jesus does not want us to be like the pagans when we pray. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, empty, as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Just a side note, when you see Gentiles, it translated, it's translated as pagans. That's a good translation, but it's not always, it's, it means unbeliever is what it's referring to, someone who's not following God, someone who's living a pagan life. Um, how do they pray? Well, man, in my travels to India and Africa and the Middle East, 
Um, I've, I've seen a lot of Buddhist, Muslim, and Hindu worship. And I, I just couldn't help when I see so much of it, thinking this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. This, this is it. You, you see them doing the rituals, many times for tourists, and, and sometimes when I was way out in the sticks, you know, for not. But you would just see them basically trying to get through it, just get through the ritual, barely interested, just wanting to get the ritual done. And then you have those prayer wheels in Buddhism, which um, apparently every time it goes around, it takes one of your prayers into nothingness or something. And then it's like that's kind of how you absolve. And if you sin really badly, you have to go to a high mountain and put a flag. And then when that flag deteriorates, it means your sin has been carried into nothingness. And that's why a lot of these mountain peaks, you'll see flags. And, um, and, and even, even in the Appalachians, you'll, you're starting to see some of that. Um, according to Jesus, this is not how prayer works. It's not at all what prayer should be like. To be sure, and just a side, and we don't have time to hit every aspect of this, but we're not saying that, that, that God never encourages in the Bible to pray often or to be persevering in prayer. Remember, it says, it says pray and don't give up, right? And so it's saying, like, don't give up on your prayers. Um, it's, it's fine to pray a lot, but it's, we don't manipulate God by saying the right phrases or by saying it again and again and again and again and again, right? You see in verse 7, he says, don't, don't heap up empty phrases, I'm going to butcher this word in Greek, but it comes from empty phrases, comes from the word in, in Greek, the original language, batalagesete. And according to the book I looked at when it was telling me about this book, um, it means do not keep on babbling, or as the King James says, vain repetitions. But the word is an onomatopoeia. I didn't think I'd say that right. An onomatopoeia, kind of like the word sounds like what it is, like splash. Quack, oink, buzz, right? Baralagasete, um, something like that. It sounds like babbling words. And Jesus is saying, don't be like the pagans. They think that if they name their gods and they address all their things over and over again to each one of their gods, that, the, that they're more likely to be heard. And if they say it again and again and again, that they have a better chance of it being heard. I, when I was a kid, I would do this. I would ask God to forgive me my sins over and over and over and over and over and over and over again at night, thinking that it was having more of an effect. You know, Jesus is telling his Jewish hearers that much of their praying is like the babbling found amongst the pagans. Now, before we just look at the Jews and be like, man, look how jacked up they were, I think if Jesus were here right now, I think he would tell us the same thing. I think we all need to check certain phrases maybe we grew up with, maybe, but our brains are disengaged and we're just, we're just talking. And if we just pause things, it's like, what the heck did I just say to God? Like, what am, I, what am I saying? Am I really thinking about him in this moment? So guys, we know the goal of prayer is not to complete a mechanical ritual, to light the candles, to do the, to do the right procedures, we shouldn't think of this as just being a danger to unbelievers, to pagans, to Buddhists, to Hindus. This is on our front porch. This is Sunday morning at Oasis. And don't think that the answer is, oh, okay, okay, so the answer is to have no plan and to never write out prayers. And if it's written out, it has to be fake. And if it's spontaneity, and if we just do it on the spot, it won't ever be fake. Well, that's not true either. Well, I think we've all been in services where, uh, you know, worship leader just... It's just kind of saying things, and it just doesn't feel, it's like, is it, are, we, are we just saying off the cuff kind of what's in our brain? Is it just, so the answer isn't, 
oh, let's write it all out in liturgical ways and let's, or, or let's, let's try to be spontaneous because if it's spontaneity, then it's right um, to pile up empty phrases. Just because you're sending emotion or putting on divine titles doesn't mean God hears you more. John Stott calls this kind of prayer, all lips, no mind, no heart. Listen, we don't have to impress God with our long prayers, with our beautiful prayers. We don't have to impress him with our spontaneity. You see in verse 8, he knows what you need, Wilson. He knows what you need, Billy, before you pray it. This is a huge one. We don't pray because God needs our help in running the universe, right? We don't, we don't think, God, God doesn't say, oh, thank you. Okay, I got messages coming into my inbox. I, I didn't know what I was going to do down there. Thank you. It's not like that. And guys, we don't pray to change God's mind. We pray, and this is where God's sovereignty comes into this. But listen, I can say this for sure. We pray because God has ordained in eternity past, that he would act on our behalf through prayer. And when we pray, God takes action and intervenes. Now, how that meets what he does, that's, that's where this little brain peters out. But we are to pray, and God acts on behalf of those who pray. We pray because he has accomplished his means primarily by that. God doesn't, he's not dependent on prayer. He's not handcuffed. Praise God. Sometimes we might not pray about a thing and God still in his mercy will step in and be a good dad. Praise God for that. Can we thank him for that when he does that? But prayer is the usual means that he has chosen in his sovereignty to accomplish his will on planet earth. And so don't give up. Now notice the motivation. This is so good. Your father knows. Can we, let's just sit on that for a second. Your father knows. He knows what? Well, he knows our suffering. He knows our temptation. He knows the pain of losing a son. He knows. He knows what's on our hearts before we say it. The motivation, guys, for this, the motivation that the Lord gives is the one who sees in secret. That's, if you, if you leave with one thing today, leave with that being your motivation. Now, Jesus hasn't even taught him, them yet to pray our Father. But we already see how important it is to know to whom we're praying. We aren't, we aren't praying, guys, to a hot-headed coach. We aren't praying to an authoritarian, abusive dad. We aren't praying to a distant king or austere supervisor. Some of us, that is our, that's our knee-jerk heart position towards God. And, 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 and that's something that the Lord wants to change, amen? That's what I, I, I was saying. That's what he's, done for, he's doing for me is changing my default of how I see him. The little, just the, the, the no credit that I give him for being a good dad, right? We are praying to a heavenly father. If you believe he's a good father, then you won't have to try to impress other people. If you really believe in the goodness of God's heart, then you will know that he will take care of you. And if you believe that he's a great dad, 
then you won't heap up empty words. You know that God already knows what you need and you don't get extra credit for adding extra words. And so it is with our prayers. So it is with our prayers. Now, thankfully, God doesn't have a word limit. If, if, if you want to do, because sometimes Betty Jane would just like, she'd just go off and she just chitter chatters. And there's a tender, like I'm talking to my daddy that's really cool there. And if that's what you're doing with the Lord, great. As long as your heart isn't feeling like that you're manipulating him. And because you're doing that, then it's going to be a more powerful prayer. As long as that's not in your heart, chitter chatter away, the Bible tells us, right? Just let it go. Um, but the same principle holds. There's no extra credit for adding extra words. He doesn't hear more when we heap up. So the Lord says, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the hypocrites. Those are the two no-nos when it comes to prayer. And let me end with this one thought. Prayer isn't a formula. It's not a recipe. Prayer is a relationship. Can we, can we be reminded of that? It's, it's a relationship. Do you guys remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? It's one of the most amazing, incredible stories, narratives in the Old Testament. Um, remember, he, remember he, he says, okay, you, you, talk to, you talk to your God, and, I, and I'll talk to the creator God, and we'll just see who does what, right? And, the, and those pagans, they come up, and they, they're just like cutting themselves, and they're saying the same phrase over and over and over again, over and over. Y'all remember the phrase? What was it? I can't remember. Anyway, it was this phrase, and they kept saying it was like the same prayer over and over and over again to their God, and they were cutting themselves, and then Elijah offers a comparatively really short prayer. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known to you this day, you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done these things at your word. That was it. In other words, he prayed to the God who was actually there. He prayed to the God that he personally knew. He prayed to the God that he trusted. And then he prayed comparatively a short, straightforward prayer that God would hear his servant and that God would glorify himself. Huge difference. I started this message by saying some books on prayer reinforce that we ought to pray the most helpful books for me have been ones that have left me with hope. And I, I pray that this sermon this morning have, has left you with hope. It hasn't just been a big kick in the pants where it's just you're not doing enough. I pray that you leave here feeling not just I should pray more, but I can. I can pray. And just re realizing that probably a lot of our inhibitions to approach the Father is seeing the Father the wrong way. So may the Lord change our view of the Father so that he becomes approachable and we stop seeing him like maybe, our, maybe we see our dad or maybe we see how a coach was or a principal and maybe, let, Lord, let us see you and your heart for who you really are. You don't have to make a show of it. At the heart of thinking about prayer the right way, guys, is understanding that our God is not hard of hearing. So we don't have to make a show. We don't have to use all kinds of phrases. He is not hard of heart. So speak to him. Shoot straight with him. Be plain with him. You do not need to impress him. If you are in Christ, then he is your heavenly father. And as your heavenly father, you know what? He already loves you. 
you need to just show up and talk to him. That's the good news. And actually, there's even better news than that, guys. When you show up in prayer, your heavenly father will be waiting there gladly, ready to hear, ready to listen, ready to go towards you in all your brokenness. You remember what he said? He said, come unto me. For, how's that one go, Dad? Was your, no, not that one. I will in no wise cast out one. How's that one go? Yeah, that's it. Whosoever comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. But God, you don't, you don't know everything. I, whosoever comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. But I don't, even, I don't even, I don't pray to you. I don't do this right. I will in no wise cast out. I'm, I'm actually sinning and not just about other people. I'm sinning against you. I don't really care what you, th- I will in no wise cast out. He's a good father and he says, come in your brokenness, come with your junk. And Jack, as you come right now, well, I can't think of a better way, guys, for us to end our time together this morning than to ponder his sacrifice on the cross that made this possible, made our relationship with the Lord possible. His sacrifice on the cross, this intimate, beautiful relationship with him possible. The Lord said to do this. We're going to take communion together. That can be our invitation. And so it has the bread and the juice in there. Welcome you to come as families, husbands, wives, or with friends if you want. And, um, and just to spend some time in prayer. Obviously, the word of God warns us to not take this unworthily. Some of us, the, the thing you need to do this morning is just come to Jesus. You just need to come to the Lord. You need to, you need to repent and ask forgiveness, maybe for being fake for a long, long, long time. Maybe you didn't even see it. Maybe you've just been, maybe you've just been going off and, and just living this, this fake spiritual life and not even really realizing it. And the Lord in his mercy today has woken you up to that and you need to repent of that. Well, then we invite you to do that. We're going to have counselors and prayer people at the front who are, who are here to pray with you. And so, Lord Jesus, I want to pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us. Teach us to pray. Whether we are new Christians or whether we're exploring Christianity, whether we have been at this for years and decades, surely you have much to teach us about prayer. May we not be hypocrites. May we not be pagans. May we pray like your little kids. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's talk to the Lord this morning as he searches our hearts.